0: The Africa Roundtable, a podcast by the Global Perspectives Initiative. The Russian war of aggression against Ukraine is keeping the world in suspense. Millions of people are fleeing the country and millions are at risk of hunger and poverty. The global consequences of the attack on Ukraine are not yet foreseeable. Russia, which is currently under sanctions, and the devastated Ukraine are the main suppliers of wheat and corn for some African states. With prices rising dramatically because of the war, many people in Africa fear that they will soon no longer be able to feed their families. The Ukraine conflict and the consequences for Africa is our topic of the day. Welcome to the Africa Roundtable, the podcast with Dani Höpfner. Dr. Carlos Lopez is our first guest speaker today. He was chairman of the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa until November 2016. He's a professor in the Graduate School of Development, Policy and Practice at the University of Cape Town. Mr. Lopez, Russia and Ukraine are the main suppliers of wheat and corn for countries like Kenya, the global consequences of the Ukraine are already being felt in other African countries as well. Food and fuel are becoming increasingly expensive, and many have an inkling of what it means when the international legal order is called into question. Are we facing a humanitarian catastrophe in African countries?
1: Well, we are certainly facing a very a strong. Uh headwind, in terms of uh, macroeconomic stability in the African countries. There are about 27 countries in Africa that import uh, wheat from both uh, Russia and Ukraine, and some at very large quantities like uh, North African countries, particularly Egypt, that are going to have uh, an acceleration of the inflation that was already present because of uh, supply and logistical issues and other considerations resulting from the pandemic. But it's not just uh, these two uh, or three uh, 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 food security concerns that should be uh, in our minds. It's the entire disruption that follows the pandemic where African countries were in the receiving end of a very asymmetric uh, distribution of resources to face the pandemic. We know about how the vaccine debates have put, um, you know, Africa at the center stage of, you know, lack of solidarity. Now we are seeing the same in terms of the responses that result from the sanctions. And we are going to have, you know, much difficult uh, situation in Africa than in other regions because Africans don't have access to uh, resources and capital that others can afford.
0: In the vote of the United Nations General Assembly, only one country voted against the resolution which strongly condemned the Russian attack on Ukraine and demanded Russia's withdrawal, while 17 African countries abstained. Before that, however, European and African diplomats had tried hard to get African governments on their side, but that doesn't seem to have worked What does that tell us about the influence of Europeans on African leaders?
1: Well, you know, I I, I don't think it's an issue of influence. It's more uh, when you look into the vote, in fact, between those who have abstained and those who didn't participate in the vote, you have about half of the African countries that were uh, not really in favor of the resolution one way or another. And one, yes, one country in Africa, Eritrea, voted against the resolution. But I think more importantly is the message that Africa is uh, divided in relation to this issue and for good reasons. I think uh, Africans have uh, in their memory the Cold War period where they were uh, supposed to choose sides. And now it's a bit the same pressure that is coming their way. And in fact, you know, they have not benefited from some of the Uh, most important dynamic uh, uh, globalization aspects that uh, resulted from the end of the Cold War. So they don't want to enter into uh, too much of a choice between uh, contending parties that they don't think have a direct relation with their uh, reality. And let's remember also that when it comes to the U.S., uh, the number of countries in Africa that are under U.S. sanctions and also European sanctions is quite large. Uh, so there is also that memory that, you know, in countries like Libya, Somalia, Sudan, South Sudan, Central African Republic, Democratic Republic of Congo, Zimbabwe, all these countries are under sanctions. So it is a reality that in Africa will, you know, be watched with a lot of care.
0: You mentioned Eritrea. The Stockholm International Peace Research Institute estimates that almost half of Africa's arms import in, in 2020 came from Russia, an important partner for the governments in Africa. This is especially true for Eritrea, which voted against the UN resolution. Not only is Eritrea an African ally of Russia, there's also interest concerning the country's ports on the Red Sea. Why is Eritrea so interesting for Moscow?
1: Well, um, I don't know about what uh, maybe the the Russian interest, but of course, you know, the geolocation of Eritrea is very attractive because it's in the area where most of the traffic for oil passes through and also for commodities. And, you know, every country that is in that band is normally considered geostrategically very interested, particularly Djibouti that has a base, from the U.S., a base from France, a base from China, so it's, it's very indicative of how important that uh, region is, and the Russians have been trying to have a base uh, themselves in, in some, somewhere in that region, and, you know, most uh, advanced negotiations are with Sudan. But I think what is important to retain is that you know, Eritrea is a very marginal economy in the African context including uh, the fact that uh, they are the only country in Africa out of 55 that has not signed the African continental free trade area so far. So I, I don't think uh, we should attach too much importance to uh, Eritrea in the consequences of this war, because the consequences are, are going to be more in terms of how the supply chains are going to work, the fact that you know we are going to have a, a huge inflation resulting from uh, prices going up, uh, lots of scarcity uh, that is going to be associated with food insecurity, and also the fact that the access to finance is going to be much more restrictive. Even before uh, the Ukraine uh, invasion, uh, African countries were already having difficulties operating in their banking transactions because of all kinds of sanctions that were uh, uh, implemented against countries uh, sometimes outside the continent uh, that will not allow for smooth uh, financial operations. And this is just going to be aggravated now with the sanctions that are imposed on Russia.
0: Russia is showing growing interest in African countries as are the European Union and the United States as well as China in particular. Could there be a conflict of interest between Russia and China over dominance in uh, individual African states?
1: I think there is a tendency to try to say that the Africans are uh, cheated by partner A or partner B. In fact, you know, Africans are not uh, in in a stage where they should be treated as children. They have choices, and like every single country, the choices are very pragmatic. You want to have opportunities yes. that will allow you to negotiate better deals, and for that you need to have different partners that are interested in whatever you have to offer, and uh, that you can, you know, basically enhance your uh, opportunities and maximize uh, your takes and and this is exactly what is happening. You know, Africans are very keen to uh, engage with as many interlocutors as possible to get better deals. And uh, the reality remains that until quite recently, the majority of the f- uh, foreign direct investment stock was with Western countries in Africa. China is a new player. It has not yet uh, even reached the higher echelons of uh, investment stock but it is true that they are increasing uh, their stakes quite uh, rapidly so that is uh, more a warning for other partners that may be interested in africa to also increase theirs rather than being worried about africa's uh, you know becoming like a, a chinese or in this case even less uh, a russian uh, dependent region because, in fact, the entirety of the Chinese investment in Africa is only 4% of their uh, foreign direct investment in the world. So where is the 96% uh, going? Uh, basically, outside Africa. So it's, it's not an African issue, really, uh, as some uh, would like to, to, to play it. You know, it's, it's just a narrative that is not helpful.
0: If you talk to economic experts, it quickly becomes clear that there is hardly a region in the world that can escape from the war. No matter how far the country may be away from Kiev and Moscow, today's world is too intertwined, and the various chains of the effects are too confusing. What other consequences of the war do you expect for development in Africa?
1: Well, we have become quite uh, interdependent, so whatever sanctions or whatever consequences resulting from measures of this kind uh, are implemented, you know, they they have ripple effects uh, across the the globe. So, uh, the prediction is probably that we are going to lose about 1% of uh, global GDP as a result of this war because the consequences are quite daring and go way beyond the 11th largest economy, in this case, Russia. But I think, uh, you know, for Africa, what uh, is interesting to to witness is that this this war is also exposing some fractures and some asymmetries uh, that are important for us not to forget. Uh, The fact that the uh, African uh, refugees coming out of Ukraine were treated in the borders of the EU because Poland is the member of the EU the way they were, uh, it's quite uh, revolting. And it is also, you know, happening, you know, just a week uh, and a half uh, after the uh, African-Europe summit where a lot of things were promised. So you can see that the treatment is still not equal and that the principles and the moral imperatives that are applied to some are not applied to others. And, you know, in this case, Africans are, Again, you know, sort of the the ones that are marginalized constantly. When you when you see how the IMF has approved, you know, loans uh, of an amount equivalent to all, everything that has been disbursed for Africa during the pandemic in just about uh, one week, and Africans struggle for two years to get that amount. Uh, it, it's it's again another demonstration of this asymmetry. So uh, Africans are are, are watching that, uh, you know, the globalization effects and the interdependence that is associated with the ripple effects of a war of this kind are also, again, demonstrating that we are not equal in this world and that multilateralism was already, uh, you know, quite fragile and being shaken by a number of developments. And this is just one more. Uh, Of course, this is not a way of saying that we We should not consider these developments as important and impactful.
0: On the contrary, they are going just to aggravate everything I I, I just mentioned. Mr. Lopez, what are your recommendations in this situation, in wartime in Europe, for the states of the European Union now to keep the European-African partnership at eye level?
1: Well, for starters, I think we should not really force Africans to... um, make uh, positions uh, known in terms of how they side with A, B, or C. The Africans really, after the Cold War of the past and looking into these latest developments that are very much, you know, a return of history, a return of the the geopolitical divisions and the blocs and uh, and all the rest. So the Africans just don't want to, to get into that. They want to be non-aligned, they want to be left on their uh, corner uh, to be uh, focusing on their development because, you know, in the past they have just been engulfed and manipulated by different uh, geopolitical interests. And at the end of the day, you know, you have four decades, five decades of development that didn't occur. Africans need a bit of peace of mind. And that would be my recommendation for the African leaders. And that will be also what I would request African partners to respect.
0: New perspectives, insights, and global analysis. Subscribe to the free newsletter by GPI, the Global Perspectives Initiative. And we also want to hear perspective from Berlin, so we are talking to Dr. Stefan Meyer, the Director of Science and Politics Foundation Stiftung Wissenschaft und Politik. His focus is on the foreign and security policy challenges of Germany and the European Union, geopolitical and geoeconomic dynamics, trade and foreign economic policy. Herr Mayer, Russland und die Ukraine stellen fast zusammen. Mr. Mayer, Russia and Ukraine together account for almost one-third of global grain exports, especially wheat. Behind that, Russia is the world's largest exporter of fertilizers. Many African countries are heavily dependent on grain imports or rely heavily on agriculture for their own economics. How is the war in Ukraine and the associated global grain shortage an uncertain affecting the food security of African countries?
2: Yes, of course, it is very painful. We've already emphasized this. Both countries, Russia and Ukraine, are very important exporters of corn, wheat, sunflower oil, and fertilizers. This means that countries that are highly dependent on agricultural imports, like Egypt, but also countries like Nigeria, will of course have to pay higher prices, which are usually subsidized by the state. On the other hand, you have to prevent scarcity. So to that extent, the effects that this conflict has on African states will be very painful. We see protests over
0: rising prices and inflation in Egypt or Sudan or food shortages in the Horn of Africa. How does food security relate to existing dissatisfaction and unrest in Africa?
2: Yes, of course we know that food and supply crises can arouse political protest and societal resistance. Thirty years ago, when I was still doing my doctoral thesis in Zimbabwe, I was there when the drought and the food crisis began. And that was a major reason for the growing opposition and unrest in the country at the time. And of course, the same can be observed in other basins in Africa. It is also the case that these conflicts usually only materialize in a delayed manner. When the crises arise, many people are already busy securing their own livelihoods and are less politically active. So normally there is some lag between the food crisis and then political protest and political opposition movements.
3: Also normalerweise ist eine gewisse Verzögerung zwischen Nahrungsmittelkrise und dann äh, politischen Protesten und politischen Oppositionsbewegungen
0: zu beobachten. Konflikte treten mit Verzögerung ein, sagen Sie. Konflikte kommen mit come with a delay, you say? What does it mean for this conflict? When might it reach its climax?
3: Also es hängt natürlich auch ein Stück weit davon ab, wie lange die Nahrungsmittelkrise ähm, äh, anhält.
2: Well, of course it also depends to a certain extent on how long the food crisis lasts. Unfortunately, it is to be expected that the conflict in Ukraine will not be over in a few weeks, but rather it will drag on for a long time, even when formal hostilities have ended. In any event, food production will not resume to its original extent. So I expect that in the second half of the year, we will see more political crises and political conflicts in Africa that are catalyzed by the food crisis
3: durch die Nahrungsmittelkrise
0: in sind.
2: Sinkende Ausfuhren wegen des Krieges, so
0: some falling, exports because of the war. We have discussed this and now price still continue to rise. That means hunger for million of people. Are we on the verge of disastrous famine in Africa? And more importantly, is the West prepared for it?
3: Also wir haben ja in den vergangenen Jahrzehnten immer wieder uh, auf Hungersnöte und, uh,
2: well, over the past few decades we have repeatedly experienced famines in Africa in a variety of regions. You mentioned the Horn of Africa, which is particularly affected by food shortage. I think we will also be confronted with this in the coming months. In contrast to climactic fluctuations, for which I believe we now have the tools to forecast and prepare for, it is of course much more difficult to prepare for this sort of acute conflict and then actually bring food to Africa in good
3: time. The war in
2: the
0: Ukraine has shown once again, it must be said, how much conflicts influence global supply chains and how prices can rise both, in Africa and here. Does such dependency exist in other direction? Do Germany or Europe need raw materials from Africa?
2: Yes, of course this occurs with the Congo and with some other countries in Africa that are very rich in raw materials that also provide a high percentage of raw materials such as cobalt, platinum, and others important for industrial production. It is to be expected that there will be more than a few, quote-unquote, beneficiaries, so to speak, in Africa who gain from this crisis. But we expect that commodity prices will rise even more in the coming months than they have already done, and that countries like Congo... And also oil and gas exporting countries like Nigeria, Gabon and Angola may be able to benefit more from this
3: crisis.
0: Wir schauen nochmal zum Bereich Geopolitik in der Abstimmung über die Resolution der UN-Generalversammlung. Let's take a look at Geopolitics in the vote of the UN General Assembly. Resolution condemning Russia's attack on Ukraine. About half of African countries voted in favor. One country, Eritrea, voted against. 17 abstained and 8 were absent. That paints a very mixed picture and does not look like an unanimous condemnation of Russia as there was in the EU, for example. In your opinion, what are the possible reasons for the high number of abstentions by African countries?
3: Also ich glaube, ich würde sogar weitergehen und würde sagen, es ist nicht nur ein gemischtes Bild, es ist aus unserer Sicht.
2: So, I think I would go even further and say that it's no longer a mixed picture. From our point of view, it is a disappointing picture that almost half of the African states cannot bring themselves to take a stand and condemn such a clear violation of international law. I think several things play into it. On the one hand, of course, Russia has built up relatively intensive relations with several African countries in recent years, and also even before that. In part, it goes back to the times of the East-West conflict, when Russia or the Soviet Union was an important partner for some African countries. There is this feeling that you still have a relatively strong obligation to this country. For example, there are also expressions of sympathy for Russia, including its actions in Ukraine, from circles of the South African ANC. Then there are economic dependencies that have developed in relation to investments by Russian companies, especially in the raw materials sector. There are arms deliveries. As far as I know, Russia is now the largest arms exporter to African countries. It is also important for some governments to remain loyal to those who are continuously securing these arms deliveries. And then, finally, there is a certain frustration that always exists in Africa double standards in the enforcement of international law. Frustration that, of course, Europe and the USA are now trying to mobilize massive support and to use many legal instruments, including appealing to the General Assembly and the Security Council against it. Breaches of international law and violations of international law in Africa do not always result in the same type of mobilization as we see here. I think it is a combination of several motivations that ultimately led to almost half of the African states not being able to decide to support this resolution.
0: Wir beobachten zudem in diesen Tagen, in der demokratischen we are also observing these days in the Democratic Republic of Congo, people are taking on the streets in support of Ukraine, whereas in the neighboring country of the Central African Republic, people are demonstrating for Russia. Is the African Union in danger of splitting?
3: Nein, ich glaube, an diese Frage wird die Afrikanische Union nichts nicht zerreißen. Ich denke, dafür hat sie...
2: No, I don't believe in this question. Will the African Union tear itself apart? I don't believe this question has the significance to actually lead the African Union into a crisis. That may be decided over the next few years, if we actually encounter a development, which I would not completely rule out, that we see another confrontation between global political blocs, and African countries will then, as was the case before 1990, find themselves in a position where they have to make up their minds, more or less, to decide which of these blocs they join. But that's still a long way off for me. I also hope that this doesn't happen. So in the current crisis, I believe the African Union will not be divided.
3: Etwas in der Ferne. Ich hoffe auch, dass es so nicht eintritt. Also an der gegenwärtigen Krise, glaube ich, wird die Afrikanische Union nicht gespalten werden.
0: Was bedeutet denn der Krieg in der Ukraine für diese What does the war in Ukraine and these geostrategic decisions mean for German foreign and development policy towards Africa?
3: Also gegen...
2: Well, first of all, it means that Africa, so to speak, is slipping a long way back in terms of our priorities because we are absolutely focused on the war in Ukraine and what its consequences will be for the European security order, for our own defense capabilities and also for the transatlantic alliance. This means that Africa will initially be set back a good deal in terms of prioritization, and then it depends very, very much on how the geopolitical environment actually develops further. If it really goes in the direction of forming blocks, then I think we will see similar scenes as we did in times of the East-West conflict, namely courting support from countries in Africa's partners and allies in a new confrontation. There could be a positive effect on Africa's economy in the medium to long term. But of course, we're also currently discussing the vulnerability of supply chains. We see this in several ways, like the often quoted cable trees that are currently missing in our automotive industry because they cannot be delivered from Ukraine. We see difficulties maintaining some supply chains. This could mean that companies are increasingly looking to diversify their supply chains and possibly invest in geographically closer areas. And that in turn could be an advantage for Africa, probably for North Africa in particular, that investment decisions are shifting in their direction
3: zu investieren. Und das kann wiederum ein Vorteil für Afrika, wahrscheinlich insbesondere für Nordafrika sein, dass sich dadurch Investitionsentscheidungen
0: verlagern. That was Dr. Stefan Meyer, Director of Stiftung Wissenschaft und Politik in Berlin. And before that you heard Dr. Carlos Lopez, Professor at the Graduate School of Development Policy and Practice at the University of Cape Town. More current topics are available on our website and in our newsletter. All information can be found at globalperspectives.org. Special thanks for support in this edition to Caroline Spanaus, Nika Weidemeier and Nora Kiefer, Speaker Eric Neumeister and Michael Meyer. Thank you for your interest on behalf of the entire team of GPI, says Danilo Höpfner. The Africa Roundtable. This podcast is a production of the Global Perspectives Initiative.